Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We're talking today to Corey Dias. He is the CEO of Anfield Energy, the uranium player with assets in the US. We talked to him about his strategy. He thinks they're an M&A company. We also talk about their 35 assets and their 37-year-old mill. It's one of only three operable in the US. He's also got a patriotic stance on 232 in the working committee, which we discuss in some detail. I ask him what he's been spending his money on in 2018 and what he plans to spend his money on in 2019. And of course, we kind of discuss the price discovery issue in the market that is uranium. Hey, Corey, how are you? I'm well, how are you? Not bad, not bad. Thanks for taking the call. Look, we usually kick off the one minute summary, so if you don't mind, give us a one minute summary of, the, of uh, Anfield Energy. Sure. So Anfield is a company with the majority of its uranium assets in the United States. Uh, we have both ISR, amenable assets, and uh, conventional hard rock assets. Our near-term focus is on the ISR space, and those are the assets that we hold in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. uh, we recently closed a transaction whereby we acquired what's called the Charlie property. Yeah. Uh, the Charlie property is a near-term production opportunity for us. Uh, we have the opportunity to pair that with uh, uranium One's existing uh, facility, processing facility in Wyoming, uh, through a resin processing agreement we signed a couple of years ago. So, our near-term focus is Wyoming and ISR. Our longer-term blue sky focus uh, is the conventional assets that we have uh, in Utah and Colorado. Right. Okay. Perfect. Perfect summary. So, tell us a bit about you. What's your background? Why are you in the uranium space? Uh, well, uh, I'm. My background is actually in finance. Um, I worked as a research analyst for a number of years uh, for a couple of banks in Canada and some smaller firms. Uh, had the opportunity to move to the other side of the market, uh, on the uh, the dark side, as they'd say, uh, to put my money where my mouth is, basically. And right. uh, the opportunity was given to me by one of our directors who was running another company at the time. I came in back in 2013 uh, to take the reins of the company. Uh, we started off in copper. Uh, and then decided that uranium was a fantastic space to look at because it was unloved and really uncovered at the time. And we've been ac accumulating assets um, you know, from that point on uh, from both small companies and large companies. So we've been able to partner with some pretty significant players in the industry, including Uranium One, the fourth largest uranium producer in the world, and with Cotter Corporation, which is actually a subsidiary of General Atomics, uh, a U.S. weapons defense manufacturer out of the U.S., which is a private a multi-billion dollar organization. Right, okay. So why don't we kind of get some of the basic numbers out of the way, give us the kind of the scale of what we're looking at here in terms of market cap, cash flows, all of that kind of gets, not cash flows, cash in the bank, sure. et cetera. <laughs> you wish, uh, right? Junior, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not quite in the cash flow sphere at this point. Uh, market cap in Canadian dollars is roughly, uh, we call it uh, 13 or $14 million. Uh, you know, our, our our path to financials or financing is, is obviously through the equity markets. And uh, we recently closed a $3.7 million finance. So. Yes, yeah, so I saw that. You are, you are a small company, but you got, you've got quite a few assets, quite a few moving parts here. So you, yeah. give, give us sort of some sense of what the, the strategy, what the thinking is. What are you trying to build out here? Because obviously cash is, is going to be the restrictor in all of this. Uh, the quality of the assets, you've got to assess that, work out what you got, what you want to work on, what you perhaps want to park or, or flip. Yeah. So what's the thinking? Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned, we've got kind of a two-pronged strategy here. Uh, first of all, we have these ISR assets, which are primarily in Wyoming. So we've recently acquired the Charlie property, but we also acquired 24 other properties from Uranium One back in 2016. So the plan, uh, and those 24 products had a historical um, you know, resource of about 30 million pounds. Right. So our aim here is to focus first on Charlie and then create a pipeline of products to follow on from Charlie behind, uh, you know, this resident processing agreement we have with Uranium One in order to create kind of a long-term opportunity in Wyoming. But, but, uh, but do you know, but do you know, I, I, okay, so focus is Wyoming, great. Yeah. Charlie, new asset, fantastic. 24 yeah. assets, that's a lot of moving parts. Have you any sense of what you've got there, you know, outside of what the historic was, you know, are, have you spent money on it? 
We've spent money. So what we, we focus on, we don't focus on exploration per se. We look for assets which have a historic resource because all we have to do is go back and get an engineering firm to confirm what's there already. So right. it's a lot cheaper to do that, to spend twenty-five dollars to $50,000 on a report to confirm the historic resource as opposed to going out and drilling and spending you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, to the, and the math being, there's what was there, this is what's come out of the ground, what, there should be a number which is left behind. That's as that simple as that. Essentially, or, or if they, the historic resource is the resource that's there at the time, it just hasn't been confirmed through a third party. Right. So we an engineering firm to come in at third party to come in and say, yes, the resource that you've acquired is actually what is stated there. So it's not about what's been taken out of the ground yet. It's actually somebody's done the work already, right. but it just hasn't been recognized by a third party or by the uh, TSX exchange, et cetera. But so, at some point, you're going to have to spend the money to actually do a proper 43101 or, or more. Is that right? Right. And that's that's the twenty-five dollars to $50,000 as opposed to getting a, you know, a greenfield property where you have to go in and start drilling and spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to delineate a resource. Mm. The resource is there already. We're just confirming the resource. And so we've we've already somebody else has done all the work drilling. So okay. Seems a nice nice cheap way to kind of get to get to a number which is recognized. So that that's one forty three one oh one for all twenty four assets or no, we, right. we do for each individual. So right. we've done, we've completed three already. Right. Uh, we're work, we've done one for Charlie. We're now working on a preliminary economic assessment for Charlie. Right. So you, you could be at a million bucks to do all of them. Is that right? If you did a simple oh. report. We, yeah, we, yeah, about a million dollars. So it all depends. So some of the resources are much more easy to delineate or confirm than yeah. others. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we'll probably won't go through all 24. We'll probably look for the best. 10 to 12, and then from those, figure out which ones have the best economics in order to create that pipeline that would go behind Charlie. So if we can get another 10, perhaps 15 million pounds out of those 24 projects to sit behind Charlie's 4 million pounds, we have an agreement in place with Uranium One to process half a million pounds per year. Right. So that could get us anywhere from uh, you know 20 to 30 plus years. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. There. So, I mean, let's get into Charlie. Tell us. Tell us what precisely you bought. What have, What have you got there? Well, it's essentially it's a state lease, uh, right. and the the important uh, idea behind Charlie is that it sits in between two of Uranium One's existing mines. So Uranium One is mined on either side, and this property is actually part of the same trend. So Uranium One had tried to acquire this asset and was unsuccessful and actually had a conversation with us about you know, the potential of picking up the asset. And so we spent 26 months trying to acquire this asset from Cotter and finally closed it this year. So the, the beautiful thing about this asset is that, you know, we've got all the infrastructure around because uranium one's been right there. But we understand uh, the property because it's been mined on either side. So we know what's there, we know how to mine it. Right. And uranium one's actually gonna partner with us in order to facilitate production. Right. And, and why couldn't they do that themselves? Why did they need you? Well, you know, it, it's, you know, this is a very interesting industry when it comes to trying to get deals done. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes a lot of the parties look at it as a zero sum game. So, right. you know, we have to win and you're going to lose in the transaction. Whereas uh, from our perspective, we're talking about win-win. And we always ask, our first question is, what do you need? Or what would you like right. uh, in order to get this deal done? And and it's worked well for us. We've done it with Uranium One twice, and now we've done it with Car. So we seem to be doing something right. And, and I guess you really want to recognize our ability to get deals done uh, and ask us to pursue it. So. Okay. And what's the, what's the split between you? How, how are you sharing that? Well, we're not sharing. It's, it's our asset. Um, but the good there's thing a relationship. Is that, what, what, what have you engaged? Well, they're going to help us. They're going to help us with well-field development. You anyone has all the skills. So right. they can, you know, they, they'll get the ability to make money off of us through well-field development. And they could potentially buy some of the pounds that we do end up uh, creating at the site. Right, okay. So there's an agree yeah. there's agreement in place there. You know yeah, there's an agreement in place for processing. So the, we have to pay Uranium One to process the material. So they're making money from the property. Okay. I mean, I mean talking of which, I mean, you've also got, I don't know how to pronounce it, you've got a mill, Shootering Canyon? Uh, Shootering. Shootering Canyon. Yes. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> so actually, it's one of only three licensed, permitted, and constructed yeah, conventional Uranium in the US. Right. 
So uh, why is the word, con- why is the word conventional one. important in there? Why have you, why is that? Because in there? It's, it's not an I, so it's not an in-situ recovery. So it's a different type of recovery method. It's like a traditional um, type of mill. So we right. use for copper, silver, that type of, it's a hard rock underground uh, you know, milling facility right. as opposed to processing for ISR is much more, you're, you're basically shooting water into a well underground and sucking out the fluid and then yeah. you know, separating the fluid through drying. Right. So, so that was built when? That was built back in the early 1980s. 1980s. And it ran for how long? Sorry? How long did it, it ran, run for? It ran for four months. Okay. Yeah. Talk me through that story. It ran long enough to justify final payment on the construction of the property. Then the uranium prices fell. Right. And that happened. There. The great thing about it only running for four months is that there's not a lot of environmental liabilities there. So it's, it's the youngest mill of the three that are in existence in the U.S. And it has very little, if any, environmental liability. So uh, it's very clean. But it also hasn't run for a long time. Right. So, it hasn't run, but there's been, but it's been staffed since it was built because it has to be, because it is a uranium. Uh, wow. Facility. So, yeah. sta- and what were those staff doing? Were they? I mean, you can't keep this thing in running order for. Yeah, right. They're, you years. know, they're turning knobs and greasing, you know, greasing areas where it needs to be greased, and uh, you know, making sure that knobs turn, making sure that there's no seepage of anything, and it's it's a. Uh, you know, it, it's an old facility, um, you know, and some of the parts have been removed because they haven't been used, but certainly it's the building itself is still there. The conveyor belts need to be updated, but they're still there. Uh, the control right. room, like something out of, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry Star Trek from back in the 1970s with the different colored lights, uh, but it's still there and, you know, the, everything turns on. So it's still, uh, there's the ability to actually turn on Lights, but you can't actually, you know, there's no running plant. You can't, you know, turn on and, and uh, you know, run things through all the way through the facility. Right. Yeah, it's like nearly 40 years old, right? So it's, well, yeah. 35 years old or something like that. But how much more money, how much money would need to be spent on it to actually bring it up to speed, you know, to actually you'd have to Yeah, you'd have to spend 25 to $30 million. Yeah. That's twenty-five to thirty million bucks, which which you don't have right now, and no. obviously the market being what it is, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, you ain't going to get that money anytime soon. So you're you, there's a point in the future where you you've got the option of bringing this thing back on. How much did you pick it up for? Uh, well, we bought that property. We bought a number of small mines and picked up some royalties for about seven and a half million dollars. Right. Okay. Yeah. And Uranium One acquired the asset from a company called U.S. Energy for about a hundred million dollars. Right. Okay. But yeah. back then, right? Well, how long? When was that? That was two thousand and seven, two thousand eight. Okay. Okay. Interesting. So, you, so you, right, you got you got all these various assets. So, what's what's the big idea here? What what do you? You're a finance guy. You're thinking of numbers. How, yeah. What are you putting together here and why would investors kind of get excited about that, that vision that you have? Well, tell us about it. Well, look, I think, I think the important thing here is that ISR is the place where you want to be in a lower price environment uh, when it comes to uranium. So we have, and we've established uh, a complex there in Wyoming. So we have, uh, you know, properties that we bought. We have the Charlie asset, which is uh, kind of a near-term production opportunity. We have a resin processing agreement in place in Wyoming which means that we don't have to build our own facility, which is you know, a time killer mm. and a cost killer. So we're saving both time and the cost of building our own facility in Wyoming in order to get to production. So there's a near-term opportunity there. The, the, when you say near-term, it's all kind of relevant, again, because of the market conditions. But you know, yeah. so near-term being you're as near as anyone else right. is, that's what you're saying, right? But right now, yeah. we don't know when that is. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, look, I think of all the non-producers, we are closer to production than any of them. Okay. All the producers are obviously in production. They have facilities in place. They can produce whatever they like. But yep. anyone who is a non-producer in the U.S., we are further ahead. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Right. And the Blue Sky? Blue Sky. Uh, so part of the transaction that we completed with Cotter Corporation included what are called the Westlow properties. Right. So these are nine mines that are in Colorado. Uh, number right. of leases, the Department of Energy leases, 
Uh, we picked those up. They hold 11 million pounds of uranium and 53 million pounds of vanadium. Okay, so you got the vanadium play here again. That's right. Tricky space, right. variable pricing, etc. But um, you know, how do you work out the economics around vanadium? I mean, given the market, or have you done any work on that? Uh, we have. We've done a little bit of work. Obviously, we're very familiar with the battery sector. I actually, as a as an analyst, I used to cover clean tech. Right. So I understand kind of the battery. The you know, RFB. Yeah. 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 So I understand the renewable space quite well. So uh, so that's another opportunity. We can actually strap on uh, a vanadium circuit to our mill in order to produce at our mill uh, at some point in the future. So that gives us some optionality. Uh, there's also another mill, uh, the only running conventional mill in the U.S., which has a vanadium circuit uh, right. attached to it. There's an opportunity for us to potentially partner uh, with someone to extract vanadium. Have you any sense of what the vanadium price needs to be for you to to be able to do that? I think the vanadium price, you know, I think it's around seven or eight right now, and probably in and around this range, perhaps ten dollars is probably where you know we'd like it to be in order right. for us to afford on that. Okay, but it's it's, so, it's not core focus, but maybe at some no. point if the price is right, you may be able to raise yeah. the, the capital to put that circuit in. Okay. Absolutely. And I think, you know, an important part too. So, you know, the conventional mill that we have, we have about 7 million pounds of resource that came along with it mm. that can go through that mill. This acquisition of the Westlow properties actually allows us to uh, you know, create a longer life for the mill potentially you know, with 11 million pounds of uranium. So we've got, it's a million pound per year facility. So we're talking about a mill, you know, 18 million, 18 years roughly right. of, of mill life. Okay. So, there's another nine assets. You got 24. How many assets are you sitting on in total? Okay, what's that number? Uh, about 34. 34. Okay, 34. And you're 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 going through them all, trying to work out what's meaningful commercial. Yeah. Um, however, you're defining that, and yeah. you're going to work out what to focus on because there's limited funds. I know you've just raised another three and a half or so, 3.6. Was it 3.6 million? 3.7. Yeah. 3.7, sorry. Um, and you got to work out what to focus on. So what is the focus? What is the use of that, the 3.7 million bucks? What's that going on? Sure. So I think that, you know, as I mentioned, our focus is on uh, the ISR property. So the hard rock, the things in Colorado, uh, Utah, Shooter and Canyon Mill, those are all things which are not our natural focus. Mm -hmm. So our focus is Wyoming and our primary focus is Charlie. So all of, our, all of our focus is going to be on Charlie and moving that forward. Right. And uh, that'll be helped, you know, you know, through our partnership with uh, UAE1. Totally. So how does that break down, though? I mean, is it literally all going on? Just, I mean, you've got some G&A to cover. You've got a whole bunch of costs to cover. How much of it's actually going on the assets and discovery around those assets? Well, yeah. So I guess there are a couple of things. So we, you know, when we acquired the Westlow properties, we actually, there's some reclamation bonds associated with it. So we had to spend, we're using some of the funds that we raised uh, to cover off or to replace the existing reclamation bonds. So, right. uh, you know, we're probably looking at, you know, half a million dollars, you know, to focus, um, to use on Charlie in right. the near term. So that'll, you know, including the, the preliminary economic assessment I mentioned. Yeah. Uh, or some early, you know, well field development work that needs to be done. Yeah. And probably a little bit of permitting and licensing. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so that's kind of the, the natural focus. So that's half a million. Be, what's, what's the other three million go on? Uh, most of that, there's some that's going to be GNA, and then uh, there are about two and a half million dollars worth of reclamation bonds that are associated with uh, the Westland property. Oh wow! So ten and a half million on reclamation bonds. Wow. Okay, and you think, and that that's something obviously you, you've got to do. You, you can't not yeah. do it. But uh, you don't necessarily see two and a half million bucks worth of value. But if you didn't do it, there would be a problem. Is that is that the kind of issue with how? You... Right. Yes. It, the a lot of the properties all have reclamation bonds. So the state forces you to put money up in order to cover the cost of reclaiming the land. Should you not move forward with the project, or should right. something happen? Well, they have. They don't want to be responsible for taking a mine and returning it to fallow field. So yeah. they want the, the owners of the property or the lessees of the property to do that. Yes, I mean it's pretty tough on a junior, isn't it? I, I, you know, I appreciate, you know, there's a lot, of, there's a lot of moving parts here, and everyone wants wants yeah. wants a slice of it. But you know, you guys are, we talked about, you're not 
in you're not cash flowing you you have to yeah. raise equity expensive dilutive equity every year I mean, if i look at last year right 5.8 million bucks uh in costs right so but you're like two and a half million bucks on, on gna okay yeah. stock-based compensation 1.9 million which is that's a chunk of change right um yeah. and then gain or a lot well, gain on the exchange rate so that you know in terms of your a junior mark junior uh miners cash available cash you've got some big choices to make as to where you spend that yeah. right so Absolutely. you know on the, this 3.6 you're gonna spend half a million developing charlie you, you've got a, the, the pa you mentioned are you gonna move that pa to a pfs or what's no we're gonna keep it a pa so the the issue with creating a PFS or a feasibility study uh, in the uranium space is that usually you have to tie it to a long-term contract. So, uh, you know, no in knows. order for us, yeah. yeah, which is always a challenge to get a contract, you right. know, especially in the current environment. So, you know, our aim is you can go forward into production just using a PDA. And I think that's that's our plan. Right. So let's come back to GNA because I think, and, and your strategy, because I imagine it, it, they're, they're intertwined. So your strategy, you've, you've got a lot of optionality, 35 different assets, okay? Yeah. You're, you're working out what, what's there, what's good, what's not. And that's taking a lot of time, I guess, a lot of bought-in consultancy services of it. You know, two point, is that 2.5? I mean, how does that break down? Is that a, a lot of bought-in costs around consultants to tell you what you have? Is that, is that the problem? Some of it is, uh, but some of it is... Um... You know, like for example, the share-based compensation is those are you know options. Yeah. Right? They're not shares, so there's not you know it's not a there's still a, a, a cash component that would have to come back into the company in order to get right. those shares. Right. Uh, you know, we do have consultants in place because you know we have a very small team. Essentially, I'm here, and I have a part-time C CFO. Yeah. Um, so everybody else is kind of comes in as necessary. So when it comes to some projects. You know, when we're trying to close on, for example, the Cotter Corporation uh, transaction, we need, you know, external lawyers to come in to help us with, you know, putting together definitive agreements, right. things like that. So, so there are some costs associated with it, but it doesn't, you know, the times when it ramps up are usually the times when we are looking to close a significant transaction. Right. Because, yeah, because it's talking about, well, 1.7, nearly 1.8 of the 2.5 on the GNA was consulting fees paid by the company. So like, is that all around the M&A type stuff or the, the deals? Yeah. Is that what you're, that's what you're saying? Okay. Yeah. And I mean, we are, a, we are basically an M&A company. Yeah, well, that's what I'm, yeah, that's what I wanted to understand about your strategy. You are an M&A company. Are you an incubator? Are you saying, oh, we're never going to get into production here? It's the case. I need to find out what's good. And then maybe someone comes along and partners, JVs, whatever. What type of company are you? When investors are looking at you, what are they buying into? Well, look, I think there are a couple of things. I think, you know, our aim is to get into production. Um, I think we've, you know, we've kind of gone a long way around trying to get to an asset that can get into production. We started off in 2015 buying the conventional assets mm. from Uranium One. Right. The market at the time was actually much stronger than it is today. Uh, so I think everyone had the expectation that the market would continue to move north. And, and it didn't. So when we saw that the market was softening and realizing the differential between the cost of producing in an ISR environment versus a hard rock environment, we realized that it would take a very long time for us to get to the point where the hard rock assets are viable. Right. So that's when we started looking at ISR because that's the only place where in the nearer term, you get the opportunity to get the production. So right. we picked up the assets from uranium one to start right. moving forward in that direction. Uh, obviously, there's still a cost associated with trying to get those assets in production. We started looking around to see if there's anything that's closer to production status than what we had in our portfolio. Right. And you really facilitated that process by introducing us to Cotter and saying, you know, this would be a perfect asset given where it sits, uh, given the cost to actually move material from this mine to the satellite plan and finally into the final processing plan, given its location, its proximity to our assets. So, right. so we've been we started off with hard rock, high cost, and we've moved all our way moved the way down into ISR near term production. So it, we've kind of gone backwards. 
So, but you said at the beginning, we're an M&A company. And I think yeah. that's what you are today. That's, you know, it is what you are today. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, it's, we're in a low price environment and there are assets for sale. Yeah. In a high price environment, we probably wouldn't have been able to buy any of this. Right, so, that's, so. so people are buying into your ability to, to do deals or identify deals which potentially have value and yeah. for you to very quickly and cheaply discount the ones which perhaps don't meet the required levels that, that you're seeking. Um, and for you then to be able to develop those and get into production at, at some point. And you're, you're, you know, with the mill, you're looking at being able to have an infrastructure to look at that whole chain, right? Correct. Okay, so I just wanted to understand what you were today. That's all, that's all, okay. Um, one thing that stood out for it, investor relations, half a million bucks last year. What, what, what were you promoting? Because it's like, that's a lot of investor relations. <laughs> It is. What was we going on? A lot of assets. We have a lot to talk about. Right. We've got Vanadium to talk about. We've right. got ISR. We've got Hard Rock. You know, we've we've got a lot of different things that we can focus on. And depending on where the market is, you right. know, we've put out news releases on Vanadium because uh, our our Utah assets have Vanadium in them. Now we've got Colorado, which has significant uranium. So you know, we've got different ways to kind of you know skin the cat. So depending where the market is at the time, we will spend our time focusing on one area. But if you're doing, I, I mean, so that's the thing. I, I'm, I'm always, I'm intrigued with the junior company mentality. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking to you for help here. Is you've, you've not got a lot of cash. You've got a skill set. You, you know, you're positioning, you're M&A. You told me you're M&A. Um, you've got a lot of optionality, but you must know what's going to work, not what's not going to work. I mean, for instance, you know, spending time in vanadium and the environment which vanadium sat at, Certainly, the last half of last year that wasn't necessarily the t where you. I would have thought you spent you should spend your time talking to people about. So, when you're doing in investor relations, what does that involve? Are you traveling the world to have conversations with institutional investors, or what, what, what's it actually mean? Yeah, look, we do spend a lot of time traveling um, and meeting with investors because it, it's you know the interesting thing about uranium space is that it's more about education at this point. Um, right. You know, it's not a well-known space. Uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge sometimes it's, you know, a lot of the knowledge when people yeah. have very little knowledge, it's usually pretty negative, or at least the perception yeah. is negative. So yeah. we're spending a lot of our time trying to overcome that negativity and, and really explain, you know, why is this space actually important? And, you know, it's not all Chernobyl. It's it's actually, you know, there are, there are real viable businesses which have run for yeah. a long, long time. And, uh, you know, there's been no risk in terms of yeah know. but that's that's not your job you know some big guys with some big pockets and you know we've spoken to a few recently they've got tens of millions in their back pocket isn't that their job sure. you don't need to no, do that their, do you? but it's their job uh, you still have to educate because not everybody's going to be in the same you know not everyone gets access to chemical right so they need to understand from smaller companies they can get a lot more information from us than they can get from tim ritzel over at chemical uh they don't have access Right. Right. Okay. You need to talk to others in the space to really get a better understanding, and really be able to dig into you know what what exactly you're trying to achieve here. Okay. Well, let, 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 let's 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 finish off on on in, in terms of the company bit. Where do you sit in the market? Where do you position yourself in the market when you're going and doing this 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 world tour of eating institutions where, where are you positioning yourself and why did why should new investors looking at you watching this video today why should they be looking at you versus you know the next guy look i think i think uh, as i mentioned you know we're probably you know the next company to get into production assuming the uranium price moves in the direction that we all hope right uh we've got an asset which you know has been coveted by not only us but other parties in the sector because of First of all, it's proximity to infrastructure, uh, and, you know, the potential, you know, partnership with a significantly large producer in order to move that asset forward. So, so I think that is kind of key. You know, the fact that we do have these relationships are very unique in in the sector. You know, most of the juniors are kind of off on an island, but we've been we've managed to build relationships to the point where we can collaborate not only on this asset but on other projects going forward. Uh, so I think that's very important. You know, we have that path to production, which is near term. Mm -hmm. And look, that path to production has been validated by our conversations and meetings with utilities. Utilities are looking at us, especially before 232. Maybe the conversation might be a bit different now because 232 didn't quite go the way we'd hoped. 
but the conversations were very much about looking to secure pounds going forward from junior players, including us. And we were part of that package. So I think that's an important point too. You know, our, we have a path to production that's been recognized by the ultimate buyer. But don't, the, don't the, the basic rules of mining still apply? You need to be able to mine, not just get into production. It's, just because it's uranium doesn't make it hallowed ground. It's the, the basic rules of mining apply. You've got to be able to mine commercially, yes. economically. The numbers need to stack up. Obviously, if I'm talking to someone in the Athabasca Basin, they're going to tell me they're, they've got it made, whoever they are. The grades are yeah. high. Your grade's not so high. You know, They're, they're a lot lower. Um, but you're looking, I guess, at the Uranium One guys and saying, well, there's a nice comp. They're either side of me. That gives me a sense of, for Charlie, you know, where, where we sit. You, you're not there yet with your 24 assets plus nine assets. You, you still got to work that out, sure. right? And right. right now you're a finance guy running a company. Where's the technical team that's going to help you deliver this? Are they Well, if you, look at, if you look at my board, we have over 120 years of uranium experience. Uh, one of our board members actually did the feasibility study for Charlie. So is intimately familiar with the project we have. Who's that? Uh, Steve Lunsford. Okay. Okay. And you've also had, oh, right. Yes. Yeah, so Steve, tell us about him. So Steve Lunsford has been, he's a local uh, Wyoming guy. He's been in the business for 40 years, worked for Chemical Resources, uh, which had acquired Power Resources, which owned the asset in the past. So he is very familiar with Wyoming, familiar with ISR, intimately familiar with Charlie. So he is, uh, he's our go-to person. Right. And John Eckersley, he has just joined. Well, yeah, just joined. Yeah. He's been advising you prior to that though. Is that he right? has been, he has been. So John has been in the, he's, he's worked, he's an attorney. Yeah. Um, he's worked with junior companies for a number of years and uh, spends a lot of our times going through our contracts. Um, you know, any kind of NDAs that we have to put together, uh, things like that, he'll, he'll spend his time. And does that and inform then, us that there's going to be more M&A? Well, it, you, can, <laughs> you can interpret it that way, you could. Uh, okay. I, think, uh, but, I think that's probably a good way to look at it, yes. Okay, 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 that's good. Now, yeah. let's, let's talk about this last week. Okay. Sure. You ready? <laughs> How have you got the well, energy to talk about this last week? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So it's, been a, okay. it's been a rough week. It's been, it's a, been rough, a rough uh, week. It's been a rough week. Yes. It's been a rough week for U.S. companies. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Now you're sitting with U.S. assets. You had a little hit as well, right? You did. Um, and you used a phrase just now, 232 didn't go the way we hoped. Correct. Right? So I, I, I'm guessing which camp you're in. Well, of course, of course, we're in the producers' camp. So. Right, right. So, I mean, run us through that. Obviously, on the run up to two, three, two, everyone's very, very excited about what Trump was going to do. Um, yeah. Polarizing views, very, very passionate uh, community, the Iranian community and nuclear community. Um, so, your view was you hoped that there would be some kind of what? What were you hoping for? What was a good outcome for you? What? I think the outcome that you know the producers were hoping for, at least the junior producers, was uh, U.S.-based producers, was a quota. Uh, you know, twenty-five percent. Um, you know, you compelling the U.S. utilities to buy twenty-five percent of its needs from U.S. producers. But that wasn't ever realistic, was it? I mean, you you, you can't go from zero to hundred miles an hour that quickly. Well, so what, what would it have looked like? Been, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been zero to twenty-five. It would have been a staged. Uh, you know, kind of step up right. to 25. So, because right. it's certainly, there's not 20, there's no way to produce 25% of this needs today. No. So it would take, it would take some time. And so, I just, I got to so say, you, you, were you buying the uh, security argument or what, what, which bit of the argument were you buying into or do you think it was a conversation that needed to happen? How, where were you sitting? Well, look, I think it's clear that there, the national security risk is, is significant. Uh, you know, you've got, you know, Russia, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, you know, controlling 40% of the market. And, uh, you know, we've seen what Russia's done in the past with natural gas over in Europe. Uh, you're turning off the spigot, there's a big risk. Um, you know, the U.S. uses, you know, is the largest consumer of uranium today and imports over 95% of its needs. So. 
uh, you know, if there's any disruption to that supply, that's a significant risk to 25% of your power. Right. Uh, you know, in the United States. So, so there is a national security risk. The same, you know, it was looked at a number of years ago when it came to, uh, you know, oil. Uh, you had OPEC running and controlling everything, and, and there was a risk, you know, in the U.S. that you know you wouldn't be able to receive the oil that you needed. So the market turned around and focused internally. Sorry. And now the U.S. is an oil exporter. Sorry, remind me about your shareholding. What is there some the in terms of who are the main major owners of the company? Major owners? Well, uh, major shareholders. So, sorry, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Cotter Corporation is a significant holder. Yeah. Uh, and that was part of the transaction we closed with Cotter. So they became a shareholder because we provided them with shares of our company. Right. Uh, as part of the compensation for consideration. So, and they said on uh, how much? Uh, they'll hold about 11 and a half million shares. Right. Okay. And who were the other biggies? Uh, so the other one of note would be a company called Radio Fuels, which is a, uh, a private uranium company with assets in, uh, in Canada. Right. Okay. And this company wanted exposure to, uh, to U.S. assets. Okay. And so participate in our last finance. Okay, interesting. So those are two major ones. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. So sorry for that segue. Um, so yeah. So with the, so two three two. You think you believe it and still believe it's a security issue. Trump disagrees. So we we move to a ninety. Sorry, ninety day working group. What what are your hopes for that? Right. Just just to clarify, Trump agrees with the national security risk. He doesn't. He doesn't really <laughs> agree. He doesn't agree with the quota. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. You yeah. didn't get what you wanted because he didn't. Yeah. Okay. But okay. Yeah. He agrees, so, but he doesn't yeah. agree. So, so let's, so what is the night, what's the 90 day working group gonna do for you? You know, that's, that's the big question. I don't, you know, what do you I want them to do? Well, I'd like them to put the quota in place, but that's not going to happen. So <laughs> okay. I think at this point, I think what's, what's more likely is that there might be a potential of, you know, incentives being provided to the utilities to buy American. I don't know how significant those incentives would be, whether it's you know subsidies or something like that. Uh, perhaps there might be monies available to uranium producers in order to facilitate uh, production. You know whether there are you know, subsidies available to us, uh, you know cheap money for us to move assets forward to production. Uh, you know there'll be small measures, but I don't see them being obviously nearly as significant as what a, a quota would have done. For, right. Uh, Producers. Right. So again, possibly we're in another period of uncertainty. Utilities aren't necessarily going to move forward until they know what's going on after this working yeah. group, and then there's a period of evaluation. Right. So the you, the uranium equities companies need to kind of get on, don't they? They they they're kind of reliant on the spot price. They're reliant on hopefully the the um, contract market coming back online at some point or some line of sight to when it's going to come back on um but this i this 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 90 day working committee this is to look working group is to look at the nuclear industry as a whole the holistic view of it and you've in there you've kind of got that's the the reactors are owned by what these the utility utilities generally in the us is that right yes that's right. Right. And so they, they're sitting there with their mix of presumably still coal, gas, uh, renewable energy portfolios, nuclear is just part of that mix. So I guess they're slightly conflicted in, in, in some, some, some sense. I mean, that's, I mean, they were arguing against the 232. That's right. So it's, 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 because it's they're arguing against it because of the potential increase in costs to uh, the utilities when it came to uh, uranium uh, inputs. Right. Uh, but, you know, I think they, I think it's important to note that a lot of the utilities are working on contracts which are, you know, were signed a number of years ago uh, at significantly higher prices to where we sit today. Mm. You know, uh, contracts in the, you know, between the 50s and the 80s, uh, you know, $50 to $80 a pound. So, you know, an increase to 40 to $50 is not, outside of what has been the usual practice um, in terms of what what's being paid so uh, i think it's uh i think there was there's a little bit of you know kind of 
you know, panic screaming, um, which was not entirely justified. Right. Yeah, maybe. May, may I mean, there's a lot of moving parts. And there's a lot of um, influencers, a lot of um, people with vested interests um, in this, obviously. And, you know, ultimately, the utilities don't necessarily want to pass on the cost to their to their use to their, their customers um, or they don't want the customers to have to you know, stomach the, the cost of subsidies at a local level. If it's a security issue, that's a federal issue. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of arguments to, 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 be, to be had here. Um, sure. I mean, but the, the, but the bigger picture around nuclear is not just about the uranium, utility, uh, uranium uh, equity play. It's, you know, there's the, you know, there's the enrichment component. There's no enrichment facility in the US anymore. There's no, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, things that need to be discussed. So therefore, you know, are you worried that your bit of it is going to get sort of parked to one side and you're going to continue in this vacuum of uncertainty until all of this is resolved? Because it's a pretty big picture that needs to be, you know, looked at. It is, but I guess, you know, you've got a 90 day window in which to look at it. So um, I'm not sure. It, well, what are they going to do? What are they going to do in 90 days? Aren't, aren't they just going to say there's a lot of things we need to look at and we need to kind of create some more secondary working groups to look at each of those components this thing could could you know run on it, it could it could but i think the reality of the market i think what's going to happen now because you've had this delay in in purchasing um there is a deficit in the marketplace uh, for sure when it comes to supply demand uh you know as much as other parties would argue otherwise it's clear that there is a, a, a supply demand but i think once now the utilities start to re-engage and start to look at you know whether they're they're doing contracting or they're going back to buying the spot market. They're going to realize that the pounds aren't there, so they will have to find a way to get those pounds. And those pounds are, will not be available at twenty five dollars, unfortunately, in terms of a long long term contract. Uh, you know whether it's Cameco, whether it's Cat Adamprom, you know because Adamprom has now put itself in a, an interesting position because uh, for a long time it was a it was a, a state company who was not public, and yeah. now. You know, its aim as a public company is to show high price contracts to its investors in order to show there'll be a profit motive going forward. Well, so it's an inter it's an interesting thing. But you know, it's a question of like who's gonna blink first, right? It's gonna be you know, who's gonna be the first guy to go? Is it gonna be from the supply side or the demand side? Because like no one wants to go and have that chat with, you know, the boss and say, Hey, spot price is at twenty why well, you know, let's say let's say twenty five bucks today. But I've got an yeah. opportunity to buy it at fifty, but on a long-term. No one's going to do that, right? So yeah. no, because because utilities aren't incentivized that way. Utilities are incentivized on a quarterly basis. So yeah, you know, you don't want to be the guy who's it's not whack-a-mole, right? You don't want to be the guy whose head is above at fifty dollars when everybody else is at twenty-five. You want to be okay. in the lowest quartile. You're based. Your compensation is based on being in the lowest quartile. So so who's going to blink first? Fit. Who's blinking first? It doesn't fit. Yeah, it doesn't fit. But he's, he's going to be the guy that says, you know what, I'll, I'll take this one for the team. Well, that's that's a good question. I don't know who the first guy will be. I mean, I think it's that's the challenge. But the, there will be a first guy because Cameco is not coming back online at twenty five dollars. Because uh, Adam Prom will have a difficult time convincing its investors that it's good sense to sign a contract at twenty five dollars. So, uh, you know, the price will have to move in order for contracts to start being signed so as much as the utilities are now it, what is now done is basically turned into a global market now what they would have been forced to buy us at fifty dollars or forty dollars whatever the price would have been but now it's going to be a global price at you know those terms yeah. uh, you know global market at those terms so there won't be any more there won't be contracts signed in the near term certainly not at 25 dollars i think the the price will probably be 40 dollars plus in any case before a contract signed and, and I guess the issue is that there's no one, not even Kazatomprom, not Kamako, that can, on the on their own, fill that supply demand gap. It's it's, no, it's vast. No, it's, they could probably they could fill it, but not at this price. No. So it's all price. Yes. It's all it's all price, right? You know, Kamako does not make money at twenty five dollars. Right. So. Camco has a long number of long-term contracts in place, and probably in the 70s yeah. and the 60s, uh, you know, that's fulfilling now. But it's fulfilling those through purchases in the spot market. 
right? So even if even if the utilities want to go into the spot market, they're competing against Cameco. Cameco is buying all the material that's going into the spot market. So there's be no spot market available for the utilities. So then the utilities have to turn to contracts, and then nobody's signing contracts at twenty-five dollars. So they're going to have to keep pushing that number up higher and higher and higher to get to the point where somebody on the supply side steps in and says, "Okay, we'll do it at forty dollars or at fifty dollars." So yeah, you know, you know, twenty-five dollars is it, it can't stay here, and it won't stay here because there's no material available here. Yeah, I mean, I, that, I mean, that's such a big discussion around the su supply demand curves. You know, you know, you're a finance guy, ex analyst like me. You, you you've got to, you know, my the thing that interests me is, you know, that there's got to be a point in that curve where you go, the big guys go, well, I say we're we're happy to keep the margins low enough at this, t you know, for this period of time because that means we'll have no new entrants. A lot of these guys were sitting on big assets, won't be able to raise the cash. We can go and pick up some cheap cash and we'll we'll make hay further down the line because we'll own some of the better nearer nearer production assets um so that there's there's that kind of thought in my head with regards to, you know do the big guys think like that do, you know the geopolitics of it all you know does it work like that um but i guess one for another day um one which is for today and we'll finish off on this is your small company 13 14 million bucks canadian you just raised a bit of cash. We've spoken to a few new entrants into the marketplace, and there will be more. As, uh, if the market goes the way you need it to and the way you want it to go, there will be new entrants into the marketplace. It's just, you know, that's, that's the way these things work. Um, there'll be a lot of noise. You, you've got a little bit of a head start. Your, your nearest term at production compared to the, not, the rest of the non-producers um, but are you concerned about these new people coming into the marketplace and you know stealing your stealing your thunder? You know, are they going to be able? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Now, like I think, you know, as I said, we've been able to pick up some pretty decent assets which have near-term opportunity. And our aim is not, you know, we're just not here to promote. We're here to get into production. So, as I said, Charlie and a relationship with Rain One having something in place moves us further ahead of a number of players in the sector. I think the the Shearing Canyon mill, you know, there will be another mill built anytime soon. And obviously the refurbishment cost seems, you know, sounds significant, but when you put it in the context of the cost to build a new mill and the time frame to build a new mill and getting over NIMBYism, you know, not in my backyard, uh, it's gonna be a big challenge for anybody else to to get a mill built. Um, but and I know that I'm sure if you're familiar that Western Uranium last year lost its license in Colorado. It had a licensed uh, you know, had an actual you know, radioactive materials license, which, you know, the state pulled away. So it shows you how unique these things are and how tough it is to keep them. But the interesting thing about that one is that it wasn't tied to a facility. So, uh, you know, to get a license on your own without a facility is going to be a challenge. Um, so from our perspective, we were feeling very comfortable that we're you know, we've got something of kind of unique value. But aren't you going to have to do something quite big because you haven't got enough money to get into production yet. You're going to have to go and raise some money, okay? You, yeah. the assets, you're not quite sure, you're not quite sure what you're going to be able to do with these assets yet. And, and when you are sure, you're going to have to go and raise a stack of money, okay? So today, the bulk of the value of your market cap or enterprise value, whichever one you're going to look at, is the, is the mill and the yeah. license for that mill, to operate that mill, presumably, so that no, no one's giving you value for the permit, not the permits, the, the, the assets that you've got on the books today, right? Because they're, they're not worth a lot. Well, look, I, I think the way that we're even valued is actually the, the ISR Wyoming assets are getting value. I don't right. think we're getting any value for the mill. You, you, you I don't think, think you are? we're getting any value for conventional assets at all. Okay. No, no, we don't, we don't think we are. We think that uh, anybody who's investing in our story today is is focused on Wyoming. They're like, yo, it's interesting. What does it cost to get into production, conventional production? Right. $60. Well, you know, where are we today? 25. Where's the term price? 35. Yeah. Zero. There. So I think everything is kind of because everyone who's in production right now is actually in the ISR space. So the I fact that we have assets in the ISR space is giving us some value. But if, if, if we it's, didn't have those ISR properties, mm -hmm. I think I don't think we have a market cap where we are today. I think it'd be significantly 
Well, it's kind of it's kind of insignificant whether you're 13 million or 30 million. You, you know, you're no no nearer production, and the spot market's doing what it's doing. And until contract comes on board, you may as well be worth zero. It's 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 the same net effect, right? Um, yeah. But that, which is why it intrigues me um, about the, the 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 mill intrigues me as as a USP as as a differentiator for you. When things yeah. come good, sure. you would expect to see a significant re-rate, not just because of the production or the potential economic assets, but because of what you can then do. So yes. is that part of what you, you would argue to new people looking at you, that you've got a whole bunch of zero rated or zero valued assets. So therefore, when when the ticker, when they, you know, the, the clock starts ticking you're going to get a more of a, an uplift than others i mean i mean how absolutely right absolutely absolutely you know i think it, it's it's significantly it's a significant differentiator because you know when the the market does move in the direction that we all hope it does we yeah. have an asset which is very unique in that sector which we can turn on right uh, to give us in pounds plus more production okay you know, and i think that's and then you're you're you need to come up with a solution of where do I get the money? How do I keep dilution down? Uh, you know, all, all of that good stuff, which, you know, finance guys, you know, get a bad thinking about. Um, uh, but look, I, Corey, I, I really enjoyed it. That's fantastic first run by on Anfield Energy. It's nice to hear the story about, you know, where you sit in the marketplace. Um, you've clearly got a thought in your mind. You've got a bunch of stuff to do. you got to, Absolutely. you know, okay. Um, and you've got you've got a lot of assets to 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 look at and, and work your way through. Um, you know, I hope the hope the market is kind to you. Hope you know, hope the uranium market sees a, sees a change sometime soon. It'll be interesting to sort of see how the utility guys react and and what time frame they react in because I you know obviously you guys need that. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate, appreciate you having it. us on. Yeah. And. Uh, I love the questions. I think your questions are, you know, they're they're relevant and insightful. So uh, thanks again. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.